This is Europe calling with Vince Tracy and Matt King. And not a lot of people know that. So, very good day to everybody. It's the 5th of September, 2023. And it's hot, muggy, overcast. I can't see the mountain at the moment. Uh, We've had a lot of rain, we've had storms, we've had bad weather. So, I know everybody needs water, so I can't complain. It's just one of those things. With the change of the temperature, came a nice uh, chill. And so, for the last couple of days, I've been fighting that. So, let's find out how Matt is over uh, the other side of the mountain as we go due west and around about an hour sensible driving. Good morning to you, Matt. How are you today? Oh, good morning, Vince. Well, I sound a little bit better than you do. You sound a little bit full of cold, I I, I, I can uh, envisage there. Yeah. But, um, yes, it's it's grey. It's muggy. It's everything you said it to be. You're not you're not telling the, uh, any lies so um you know i uh, we can only hope we know that it's it's going to get better don't we that's the thing you always know that it's going to get better where whatever happens to the weather there yeah and of course uh, with everybody needing water the least we can do is appreciate the fact that we get it it's free and uh, we're jolly lucky to have it so uh, let me quickly go to uh, the topic today we're looking at how travel broadens the mind and i know that you've just had a bit of time in the uk and so if that's where we'll start um well really we've jumped in at the deep end so i'm not going to do that i'm going to go back to uh, earliest days and i'm going to ask you what is your earliest memory of a holiday with your family because this is probably to show us how travel is part of a huge change over our lifetime. So, what can you yeah. what can you remember as, as the earliest? The, first, the earliest, the earliest I can remember is going to Butlins at Minehead, uh, and that was that must have, I must have been about seven or eight uh, at the time. And of course, I remember the fun fairs, and I was with my granddad. I managed. I got a hook in my hand from sea fishing with the hand line, casting it out, and then getting the hook in my hand. So being taken off. I'm always into trouble. Me. I had something. Always something going on. Um, and then, of course, when I was about eleven, we all set off on the ten-pound ticket to Australia, uh, the whole family. Uh, and I remember that. Although I only remember good bits of it because of my age, I suppose. But I do recall that it took four days to get to Australia by plane in the in the 707, I think it was, and uh, at various stops in various places. And um, then it was uh, from from there. After that, we came back by boat because my mother didn't like Australia. I don't know what why she didn't like it, but she missed home. I think I think that was a lot of people. When travel was first uh, sort of, I don't know, available, let's just say. Um, And certainly Australia was available. I think my mother missed home. She was so far away from it. And we only stayed there uh, just under two years. And, uh, of course, they had to pay all their passage back again. And we came back by boat. Um, And it took uh, nearly 12 weeks to get back by boat then. So it's, uh, I was quite lucky right from an early age to have travelled a long, long way and have seen many, many things. And, of course, had I not had my stroke and my memory been obliterated, I probably would remember an awful lot more about it. Right. Well, that's a huge travel for a young lad uh, to go on. Um, obviously, I don't expect you to come back straight away get, regaling everybody with uh, stories of kangaroos and boomerangs and uh ant hills ant hills oh that ant- was the thing ant hills do you i mean you were in australia i know as well but do you remember the size of the blooming ant hills I, i've got there is a picture somewhere of me um standing next to an ant hill when i was about 11 and the ant hill towered above my head it was uh they were massive weren't they do you remember those 
I do, but I don't have a vivid memory as you do, um, which, of course, doesn't uh, contradict you in the slightest. It just tells our listeners that, you know, I, I don't really remember that. Um, oh, they're all out in the outback. They're all out in the outback, Vince. They yeah, were great. Right. Well, for me, I'm going to go to my earliest travel because our family didn't have a car. And so what was available to us? Well, we have a little bus uh, which would take us to other parts of the Wirral, or Wirral, uh, which I'm told is the correct way we should say Wirral. Um, and Wirral Peninsula is the peninsula between Liverpool and Wales, uh, the Mersey and the River Dee. And so for me as about a 10-year-old kid to be on a little one-deck bus... Um, and travelling to what I would have probably not been too, I don't know, uh, even interested in, it was um, the, 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 the travel would be, by today's car, no more than about 20 minutes. But, really? Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, this is how much life has changed, because um, I think I've told you once before, my, my dad didn't uh, get a car till I was 16, and so for the family to go that far um, was really uh, quite an adventure. And, the, yeah. you know, the, the one thing I can remember is a very long road going from civilization, that w- which would be the town of Heswell, and down to the coast where we were in a, some sort of a little cottage, which I can't remember. But I don't really remember anything of the content of that particular voyage, apart from the little green bus, and that it was a huge distance to travel when I was that age. Uh, Because, you know, people just didn't travel that far. You you know, uh, from, from, uh, say, Liverpool, if you were lucky enough, you might get a a, a trip across to Wirral, to New Brighton, um, which had a big tower like the Blackpool Tower, but of course, yeah. you could also go north, northwest to Blackpool itself. And um, I remember reading when we were studying these sorts of things, people used to walk from Liverpool to Blackpool. That's amazing. That is amazing. That is a long way, isn't it? It is. Um, I remember we used to walk long distances, and uh, very often, you know, you, you would think back. And I can remember uh, when I would be probably a little bit older, but not far off that age, that my granddad went to hospital. And I often remember that we walked from Spittal Crossroads all the way to the Clatterbridge Hospital uh, cancer ward. And, you know, I can remember that we walked there. We didn't particularly think too much about it. Because that's the way life was in those days. People did. Well, walk. you didn't. I mean, well, you, you, you're you, you're right. People didn't question or c- even consider anything. It, it was just life, wasn't it? It was just the way it was. You didn't have any other any other anything else to bear against, really, did you? No. Yeah, you certainly didn't. And you know, where other people will tell you that um, you know, if you've not had a car, you've obviously been uh, deprived, etc. Uh, I certainly didn't see it like that. I just remember that my dad did get a car when I was 16 as part of a job that he got. And certainly uh, the the second travel that we went on that I do remember would be when I was about 13. So this was pre-my-dad's car. And we went to Colwyn Bay in Wales, which was the first time I think I would have been to a different country. Now, Many people now will find that comment quite strange to think that uh, Wales was a different country. But I don't think we banged on about the United Kingdom the way the politicians have made it. I I think that uh, it was always England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. I mean, I don't remember how early your uh, first memories of those other countries have have, uh, been involved. No, it was very, very late on, I think, of being separated um and the welsh wanting to be separate and the scottish wanting to be separate um yeah it was quite late on certainly well i've been in spain 25 years now so it was it was before that but um 
Yeah, it, it was that was it was still quite a long time ago, but it seems to have been forever now in my mind that they they've always wanted to be separate. But you're quite right. The only excuse me, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the only real place um, I ever found as as a teenager, I did my mountain leadership certificate, um, and you had to hike ten peaks and keep uh, keep uh, a log of everything that you saw and did during that time, and you had to bivouac. Um, which meant sleeping in a, in your uh, in your sleeping bag in a big plastic bag, um, not like a, a proper bivouac. It was uh, like making up with with uh, canvas, but you slept in a poly bag, and uh, it was a survival way. You never got cold. Uh, you did wake up absolutely soaking wet, but I can remember do, around Bethesda, walking Bethesda and um, up Snowdon and Gribby Gok and up around there and. Uh, that was my sort of area of expertise, if you like. Um, I remember some of it. I don't remember all of it now, but but it was that was a, that was I was eighteen, I suppose. That was uh, with my Queen Scout Award. I was doing that, and I sort of combined that, that everything. I was quite lucky in a way. I really did. I had a car at eighteen, so I, I sa- also saved money singing in bars and doing things and getting a bit of money together. So that's how I sort of traveled i suppose so even though my younger years were spent going across to these exotic countries singapore or we went to um and i can remember that i can remember tel aviv i can remember on the way back from the cruises going back a bit um coming back from australia we were the last our penultimate boat to go through the suez canal before they closed it so you can imagine the panic of the passengers aboard that liner was that we were we going to be allowed out through the bitter lakes before they closed it because of the the Egyptian uprising? So, you know, all these things happened in my lifetime, and it's quite surprising, really, isn't it? It's, it's how much stuff has actually gone on, yeah. uh, and travel being being one of them that you, I think, we invariably take it for granted now. You can buy a ticket to almost anywhere and go anywhere at any time um, without even thinking about it. Well, of course, it's whether or not it really has broadened our minds that we're looking at today. And certainly, we're going back a long way. And even though my early travel was very local, it certainly left a big impact on me. And uh, going to Wales was, um, I think that was compounded later, because when I would be about 28-ish, um, I started working in uh, Wales. I used to travel extensively from Wirral. I used to go right up the top coast. So Snowdonia was a big, big part of this. Uh, places like Aberg- um, Aberystwyth. Um, yeah. Then we get down into Bala and the lakes down there and Dolgachli and lots of really, really different places where... It was only when I was older that I realised the the language was so different. I mean, as a kid, I don't think I saw it clearly, but certainly when I went as a young adult selling uh, coffee and uh, various other things, but certainly coffee was a big uh, staple that I used to sell in Wales. Um, you, you, I can remember sitting at a meeting in um, uh, one particular town, I'm trying to remember where it was, but it'll come to me, and I was at a total disadvantage because the four speakers at the table, other than me, all spoke a language which I didn't understand. And, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Welsh are very well known for doing this. They, they can turn it on. They can actually speak uh, their language every bit as uh, as well as they can speak English, which is really uh, very, very useful if you've got somebody who's at a total disadvantage, especially where, where you're selling pallets of coffee. So, yeah, I can imagine. Listen, I can equate to that. But when we used to stop in at one of the local hostelries, hostelries when we were in northern Wales, they even though they may have been talking English when uh, we were going in, as soon as we walked in, they stopped. I mean, there, there, there's, there was definitely an, a sense of racism in in North Wales against anybody that didn't speak North Wellian. And I can recall that as clear as the light of day. Um, 
it didn't stop us doing anything, which I think they hoped it would. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that sort of thing is daft, isn't it, to a sense? Because you were, you were helping their, their uh, economy. You were spending money in their places. Uh, but they were a bit, I think, short-sighted to a... I don't think all Welsh people were like that from North Wales. But it was, it was a lot in North Wales, not so much in where, where you're talking about. I mean, they, they, they were they were very welcoming. I used to do walk the Gower, the Gower Peninsula. Yeah. And you must have been down there in your travels, oh, were yes. you? Oh, yes. Lovely place. A be- beautiful. And, and one of the only places in the world where you've got on one side of it land reclamation and on the other side of it land erosion because you've got the, uh, the sort of the, the North Sea beating at it on one side and then you've got the... the uh, the silting up of the the estuary on the other, and uh, it's quite quite amazing place. And for nature, anybody who's interested in nature, it's it's the most marvellous place to 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 have a walking or a, a hiking holiday. Well, I do remember. Of course, I I went from a totally different perspective because um, I was working as a rep, and uh, I used to often managed to get my work done the week's work i could get done in two days if i organized myself i could get uh, my disco um finished on sunday night i could then uh, use the back seat of the car and put all uh, my disco gear back into the house make it all uh, tidy and proper again and i'd be off at uh, half past eight in the morning down to my first call and probably even before that uh, so i would do a long day working from certainly home leaving home maybe eight, eight o'clock to not finishing work till at least eight o'clock at night because it was a, a very convenient way that I could work. Um, I was selling uh, biscuits at the time for Associated Biscuits, um, which was uh, just a great job, really. And um, it came just after the nightclub I was working at had burnt down. And so I needed a job badly to look after my family. And so it really wouldn't have mattered what the job was. As long as it was uh, legal, I would have been able to do it and I was happy to do it. But I came across several times where not speaking Welsh uh, did mean something different. And so you look at things that happen in your life. And there was uh, a guy that I used to play football with, Nipper, who was a big centre-back. And I'm not the biggest of guys, but, you know, um, Nipper and I played in the same football team. But he eventually went and at that time he was the trading standards officer for uh, the whole of the uh, Anglesey and uh, that district so if anybody um, was going to help me Nipper certainly did and I stayed with him at Bentlick which is an absolutely wonderful place and then uh, very often um, I would do my work and if somebody had upset me and I'm saying uh, upset me in a, in a really silly way. Um, yeah. Nipper would always pay them a visit in the week. Um, and uh, very often I would go past the shop later in the week and find that the owner of the shop was busy taking the whole of the shop window display out and rearranging everything and explaining to a man in a suit, that would be Nipper, uh, what was going on in his shop. So... You know, why did I do that? Well, for example, I went to one call and uh, there were two shops uh, which were separated by a little alleyway. <clears throat> and I went to this first shop and uh, it was a post office. I went in and basically this guy was um, holding back a beast of a white Alsatian. And then he said, look, come in here, come in here, I'll show you. I show you not to be scared, you know. He said, I'll show you. The animal won't do anything till I tell you, you know, if I tell him to not do anything. So he said, take my hand. So the minute I took his hand, the dog went wild. Scared the, <coughs> living, scared the living daylights out of me. It was absolutely horrendous. And then uh, I skedaddled out of his shop across the alleyway. And into the next shop, and who's the owner of the next shop? It's only the same man. 
And so, you know, uh, that's welcome to Wales. Uh, This is the way that, you know, localised business can be done. So, yeah, um, mind you, I do have a love of Wales. I think. Yeah, I don't think you can not. The beauty, the actual beauty of Wales, uh, even even the the collieries and the uh, colliery towns have got a certain amount of uh, aesthetic beauty in them but you cannot fail to love the colors and the 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 outline of wales um when you walk through it or you pass through it it's just it's just a phenomenon i think really scotland's like it as well don't get me wrong you have to travel a bit further north though um to get that type of real um sense of space that you get in wales and they have i suppose to a degree they actually have something to hang on to don't they vince I think they, they do, do. You know they relish the, what they've got, and uh, and I think sadly sometimes in England uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and of course in Spain, that everybody wants to hang on to their own bit of uh, a bit of uh, heritage or whatever they've got. But I think um, get off my land is a bit of an English type thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, um, I can remember. When I was doing my uh, first degree, I remember we were looking at the Battle of Kinder Scout, which I spotted again on the TV this week. And it's uh, Derbyshire. And it was the battle uh, between the Ramblers and the local uh, farmers who didn't want them to go across their mountain. Well, uh, apparently it was breaking the law to stop people and calling it a trespass. And it wasn't a trespass. And these people were totally wrong and uh, I think the judgment went against them if my memory serves me well but you can you see if we hadn't traveled to these places we probably wouldn't be having this type of a conversation and we know that our minds must have been broadened to be able to talk about these things absolutely uh, 100% and I you know when you when we discussed what we were going to talk about today um, it made me think you know how lucky and how fortunate I was that uh, with some, I'm not, I'm not saying that, well, I'm, I'm supposed I'm saying that, that travel does broaden the mind. It has to broaden the mind. You're meeting different cultures, different people. You, you're having to adapt to other cultures and other uh, ways of living. And, you know, that is, that's quite something to learn to do that. But I think, there, I know. I know some people, same sure as you do, that have never left their their hometown, and their their minds are very narrow. Well, what, what would they? They've watched the TV, so they they tend to believe everything that's on the telly, um, and they don't discuss anything with anybody, um, and they're not interested in discussing anything with anybody. And I think when you travel and you meet other cultures, other nations other ways of life and you see other way the way people do things if your mind does open up and you think wow that's got to be that's got to be a possibility that's that's got to be a, a you know that's got to be a great way of doing things obviously there's some things that are negative about it um and i i mean i i just i love travel and there are some people aren't there that that spend their whole lives just traveling just you know it, we used to call it bumming about but um it's it's taken on a bit more of an air of a a travel person now rather than it just being something to escape uh and all the bloggers goodness me if you look on the the internet um the amount of bloggers there are for travel and where where to go and what to do fantastic i think it's really fantastic yeah well i mean the the thing is really it's become more of a challenge on the ownership of the planet because once the air travel uh, during the 50s was allowed to progress via the, um, the the jet travel and you have people can go off in this tube and go to a place about a couple of maybe three hours uh, distance away and see different things. You can't really lie to everybody uh, or exaggerate to everybody or even try to deceive everybody uh, because I think that's what maybe you can do if you don't uh, get the challenge by using the TV in the way that you know it can be used. 
Now, um, what am I saying? Well, we only have to look at Nazi Germany to understand that the media can look at uh, deception. It can look at um, control. It can look at how you can kid people that they have to do certain things uh, when really they don't. I mean, you know, I still believe that um, somebody sat down somewhere and said, if we can um, sell the top range of genes with holes in them and get people and get people to buy them as uh, the best of the range then i think we can do everything and i think that that's what's happened i think that they have been opened up to different ways of being able to control people and of course the thing is uh, you've traveled to your college I've travelled over the years to eventually travel um, to to learn how to think a bit more clearly. And I go back to my early days in the primary school because we didn't have primary school um, trips the way they do these days. I mean, my uh, my own sons with their children often tell me, oh, they've gone for a day's trip and uh, they've gone to discover more about a certain thing. Well, well, going to the museums, isn't it? That was that was my first recollection of travelling. But then I was London-based, so you know we we would go up to the Natural History Museum. I mean, when you think about it, that was a day out and a treat, and also a massive learning. But if you were stuck, you were. Oh, well, I was going to say stuck in the Wirral. I don't mean that, but the, if you were in the Wirral. A, a day into London to, to visit um, a museum was was out of the question, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Well, I, I think even a day to Liverpool, I don't think it was envisaged when I was growing up. I can't remember anything from my school. Uh, that could be wrong, but I know that uh, our playing field was about three miles up the road from the school, and I think I can remember having to walk that distance um, to play for the football team, the school football team. And, um, you know, realistically, these are the sorts of travel issues I had during my primary years. You know, to walk three miles, eventually, by the age of about 10 or 11, I was al- allowed by my parents to run from our house in Tramier in Birkenhead to go and see Tramier Rovers football team, uh, which really was quite... Um, it was quite good, really, to be allowed to do that because, you know, unfortunately, I don't think you'd want your kids to be on their own these days. Um, I don't know how much you could could allow your kids to go and watch a football team in a football stadium. You know, you'd be worried about well, the I, safety. I, I, I know there's sorry to interrupt you. I know there's a few years difference between you and I. Um, not 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 that many. I just get my pension this year. But uh, hopefully, if everything goes all right, cross fingers. Um, but uh, I know that um, I used to, I, I, I something that put me off football, and you know I'm a complete anti-football uh, for many reasons. But I, I, what put me off football? I went to watch Wimbledon because Wimbledon was where I lived, and somebody said to me, "Let's go watch Wimbledon," and I went to and watched Wimbledon, and it, and it was the time I don't know. I think Vinnie Jones was playing just, and they were in the, I think they were in the fourth division and they were going up to the third or they were in the third and they were going up to the second or or something like that. And it was a special game. And I stood there and I was only, I could have only been about 12 or 13. I I suppose that's quite old nowadays, but in those days we weren't as so advanced. And um, I watched... We were. We must have been in the wrong part of the, the the spectators when somebody threw an orange full of razor blades over from the back, wow. and it hit the guy in front of me, uh, and he just exploded. I mean, his face just exploded, um, and it was it was wanton, it was wanton, uh, just wanton nastiness. It was horrible. It was like it was a ball of nasty horridness that came over probably ruined that man's life for uh, for a long long time thrown thrown it could have hit me it could have hit the guy i the same guy boy the same age that i was with 
And that was the last time I ever went to a live football match. I never went to another one again. That was a chance in a million. But I do think that those those things that you see happen in front of your eyes do make a huge difference to what you, what where you go and where you want to be as you're growing up. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the more that we look at uh, our own situations and make a contrast... Um, you know, the difference in the ages do uh, do have uh, quite an impact on our own experiences. And for me, um, I, if I go to my secondary school, for example, I used to have to uh, cycle three miles uh, to get to school. Um, initially, I had to get a, a walk to a bus stop and then a, a bus down to Birkenhead, and then a three-mile walk up to the school. Um, so I was doing a lot of walking and uh, travel on public transport, uh, sort of, you know, to get to a grammar school. And I remember on the one particular day, I was going past somebody's house, and three boys decided they'd, they'd attack me. Um, fortunately, there were adults about, so, you know, I didn't take a beating. But, you know, it's things like that that do promote the memories that you have of your early days. I mean, it was probably about the same time that my mum decided that she'd get me a bike. And um, yeah. I would actually go on the bike as opposed to walking and possibly being, in a, you know, assaulted by people on, on route, which, of course makes you think, well, was it really like that in those days? Because, you know... I think it was. It was Tom It was Tom Brown's school days, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it wasn't as bad as that. But when if you read the book, you it, it was pretty tough. Um, I mean, they call... They say they have tough times now. I think they're different tough times. But, the, I mean, we definitely, definitely had tough times when we were... But you didn't think it was tough because everybody went through it. Yeah. Everybody's gone through the same thing and it wasn't tough. And I'm not sure nowadays that any everybody would, would see it like that. I suppose I suppose we don't know, do we, Vince? Because we can't actually be the persons that are growing up today. We can only see the stories and the, the things that we read in the news. But I would, going back to what our theme is today, I would encourage any person any person at all with with any nouns and with any um ability to you know to work or to do whatever to earn money and travel go around the world because it's what opens your eyes up to all of the to everything to work to opportunity to different ways of life and and you feel a certain humility i think visiting some some countries. I mean, I've been to Vietnam since and uh, Indonesia. And when you go to these places, you realise how poor some people are. Even Dubai, which is supposedly one of the richest countries in the world. I've been there and I've, I've seen the, the, work, the workers, the, the, uh, the black people working there, sleeping underneath the lorries or sleeping underneath piles of steel that they're actually building these concrete roads and it makes you realize that it it, it there is another world out there uh, and how how lucky you are well i think you're right and i think also by seeing things and then if you are fortunate enough and i wasn't able till i was 36 to decide to go and study again um and you know really go to a degree and work through the thinking processes and things that really you need to understand about society. You see, I think that the there have been successive governments who have lived, I mean, for a whole of our, our lives, certainly my life, we've had a disparity between the one or two percent of the richest people in the land owning the 98 percent of the wealth. I mean, it's unbelievably unfair. Um, it doesn't make me a total activist, but it makes me totally aware of we think that these days we are much better off. But when you actually look at what's going on um, because we've travelled and we've seen different things and you realise that the chief of a water company who's just made 
a lot of people very, very unhappy with her performance and she gets a payoff of one and a half million or something. You know, if you haven't travelled, you probably wouldn't have the same perception of reading it in the paper. I think those things come out of the paper. They come to life when they come into your memories, don't they? Oh, yeah, they certainly do. And I mean, but that's something very, very specific. Um, you know, I, I can recall going to a friend's, uh, I had some an Indian friend, southern Indian friend who had a, who was the, the head of his village. And he actually, in order to, and I mean, when I say that, I don't mean it like a um, head of a village like you would for an American Indian. I mean, he was a an, an Asian Indian and he, he I've forgotten the, the name of the village that he was at, but he was, his family were the head of the village and the people of the village had constructed a, a big eight bedroom sort of mansion, really, it was uh, for him uh, with a swimming pool. But for him to, there was no water there. So what he did was he he actually set up a drilling company and drilled, I mean, I think about three or 400 boreholes until he found water. But he donated the water to the village before he put water in his swimming pool. I mean, that's the sort of community thing that you don't realise unless you'd actually knew that man or you'd been there, what would happen? You know, you don't, you don't, something that we just turn a tap on in, in most countries, don't we? We, we do. turn a tap on and there's water. But there's some people like, I hate the adverts where they're trying to get money out of you for, for, uh, for Africans or whatever, where they're showing you kids pulling water or, or the RSPCA showing you cats or injured or whatever. You know that's that's tugging the heartstrings too much, but yeah. these these places exist, and that's the real that's the real point of it all. They actually exist where they don't have water, and the water they drink is muddied and and disgusting. And then on the other hand, you have the places like in Africa where they're digging out the uh, the ba- the lithium for the batteries now, and these kids are getting cancers and everything. And it's all kids, kids mining the, this. Uh, product that goes into our electric cars um which will run out because there isn't enough of it in the world um and they're 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 gonna die and this sort of stuff you don't realize until you travel or until you start to open your mind to travel and you start reading up about stuff in other countries and, and okay we we both know that you can't take everything for for granted that you read but you know it it's it does happen and it exists and it's there and we we are able in a way to voice our opinions and and to do something by voicing our opinions um, and by traveling and seeing things for yourselves nobody can argue with you can they if you've seen it and you remember it and you recall it there's no argument there is there no no i think you're right and i think that uh, i've identified that certainly for me uh, we probably did have school trips, but I didn't come from a family that could afford them in the secondary school. So it was only when I would be about 17 that um, I obviously started my judo career and then eventually got myself onto a team representing the UK uh, or Britain, England, in fact, um, where we went to Paris um, I went twice. We went to Jean Villiers the first time and then we went to Blooming Hill uh, the second time. And of course, it wasn't just about the fighting where, uh, you know, it was the first time I'd fought international. And, you know, it was a, a, an amazing experience. But more to the point, you're exposed to the food, the culture, different ways of thinking, different ways of having things explained to you. Um, and I'm sure that you probably felt the same with your rugby career, didn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky enough to travel to to um, all, the, all the, the, the three nations, all of the internal companies. But I also went to New Zealand. I played in South Africa before it was banned. Um, I played in uh, Australia. You know, I got to tour the world with uh, my rugby and... Uh, that was a that was a great thing. 
I just wish I could remember nearly all of it, but I can't. I can't remember remember very much of it at all. And it, it's actually quite sad because I don't. I don't recall much of my rugby career, um, because I suppose each game was very similar in uh, many ways. I remember a few of the the characters that I met at the internationals, but um, it's it's a really strange strange things how some things really stick in your mind and other things, you know, like I can remember back traveling when I was 10, 11, 12, what happened to me up to when I was 20. But after that, nothing, nothing really, nothing very much, just odd bits and pieces. Well, um, I'm going to take myself back to a job I got as a rep, which probably would have been, I, I would have been about 20, I would think, something like that. And I can remember going to Blackburn. Now, I parked What a lovely place that is. <laughs> well, I parked <laughs> my car to do my paperwork. And then I was surrounded by a sea of black people. I mean, you know, can't put any nicer than the fact that I was white and they were black. I don't see any problem saying that I'm white. So there shouldn't really be a problem in me saying that these people were black. But they're not the people that were black as from uh, South Africa, these were people who were very, very dark-skinned as from Pakistan. And, of course, yeah. it's by exposing yourself to that and seeing a load of people appearing in different uh, clothing and going to their mosques to say their prayers that you realise that something else is afoot something else is happening in your own country because although Liverpool had a dock we had plenty of um, different nationalities coming through the port I don't recall being as international although of course having said that uh, in the clubs when I was DJing I did mix with uh, lots of young black lads who used to come in and ask me to play the James Brown uh, funky music and the uh, Tamla Motown music. So it, well, was... it was popular with everybody, wasn't it? In that particular era, it wasn't just the the black guys that liked it. It was it was quite a popular time. I can remember being asked to play that by by many cultures, really. Uh, when I was DJing a little bit, it wasn't the same type of DJing that you were doing. It was the odd sort of like, um, well, it was called TJ Discotheques, and it was uh, somebody else's firm. But I used to do DJing for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I it wasn't for, for us. It wasn't a black cultural music, really. It was a, it was a, it was something that seemed to appeal to everybody. Well, I would say that what I learned from travelling from Wirral to Liverpool to Reese's Ballroom and seeing different groups of people coming in. So the upper parliament lads would come in and they were the black lads. Uh, there'd be a Chinese element that would come in and their community would be dancing or stand, standing on their own. All the white girls would be in dancing. All the uh, gangs from different parts of the city would be in deciding whether they were going to be proactive. And the bouncers would often come to me at the beginning of the night and ask me not to play certain music because they felt an atmosphere was going to develop to be a fight. So, you know, then I started realising that there were different parts to the culture of Liverpool, which I would not have been exposed to had I stayed just DJing on the Whittle. But uh, I didn't. I, I, I had gigs in Liverpool. And so I was learning about some of the types of uh, people that were coming along and they would behave differently to the people, um, you know, who used to... It was always, in, in on Wirral, it was always a question of the rugby clubs would all come and visit um, and certain uh, groups of people. We had a boxer called uh, Robbie Davis and he had a group of thugs called the Rockies and they used to always go round and cause mayhem and because I was also from one of the rugby clubs, very often I'd have to stop what I was doing DJ-wise and jump in to help a couple of my friends who were under siege from these thugs. So um, they were happy days, but they were probably a little bit more difficult than I realised, you know. Yeah, I, I, I sort of can 
see that type of thing. But you see, I was in, I didn't, I was in a predominantly white area, to be absolutely truthful. I, I can't even remember. I don't think we even had um, a black boy at school. Um, I don't recall. We, we might have had an Asian, an Indian, um, or a Pakistani, um, but we didn't, we didn't, certainly didn't have um, anybody who was black at school, and there wasn't anybody black in our area. Um, all, at that particular time, all the doctors and nurses were white, um, again, in our area. And I, and I don't th- think it was Wimbledon, it, Merton, a place called Merton Park, it was. Um, it, it wasn't, I don't think, I, you know, you, you're making me think now because you saying about mixing and meeting, I, I didn't really mix and meet with them. Um, it wasn't until I went to start to go to work with my dad in the holidays and he worked in Brixton. And of course, that's where all the riots were and that's where the tension was. And, you know, I think the tension, looking back at it, it's a bit like America now with the... Um, the guy that was murdered uh, by the police or killed by the police. I don't think he was murdered. I think he was so high on every toxic substance that you could possibly put in your body. His body just packed in when he, when it was put under a bit of stress. That's my opinion. And that's how I read it. But um, it wasn't until he, I started to go to Brixton and see the conclaves. And uh, as one particular story, I do recall of, um, they had a little building yard. They, they were a big building company, but they had a little builder's yard at the back of their offices. And I remember the place being cordoned off one one uh, weekday morning by the police. And they'd found um, a black baby that had been born and thrown over the wall. It was dead. It was thrown over the wall. And it took them ages and ages to go through that community to find out who who it was responsible because they just... They just sucked up, and even back then, they just closed in, and there was nothing. There's nothing you could do about. It. There's nothing the police could do about it. And I can remember being spat at in the car with my father, driving to work, and just walking across the the stopping stopping for some black people to walk across the the crossing, and being spat at and called white honkies. Um, and it was frightening for a, a 15 year old lad. To be in that type of environment, uh, you couldn't go out at lunch times. You couldn't go and walk the streets. It was it was a, a, a terrible time. On the on the contrary, I, when I was at, at college at St Mary's, I I used to go into Southall. Now Southall, as you know, is predominantly Asian uh, community, and there it was it was the it was the whole high street. Without any, any complete was completely Asian shops. There was nobody. There was not a single white person owned anything along in South uh, uh, South Hall High Street. Uh, and I'm talking about now. That's back in the uh, late seventies, early very early eighties. And that was we never felt any intimidation whatsoever from that that at all. And in fact, we were encouraged to go and buy stuff from them. But I suppose partly because they wanted to sell it um, to anybody. I mean, they're, they're great salespeople, aren't they? Yeah. But uh, it was a it was a joy to go there and and uh, sample the, the the delicacies that they used to have and the sweets and the and and they were really kind and really nice. Totally different to how it was maybe eight years earlier in Brixton uh, around the time of the riots. Well, funnily enough, um, we've only got 12 minutes left. That's how interesting this is. Uh, so I'm going to go quickly to a, an affinity of France. How did I get to France? Well, um, after we had... You, set... weren't lost, you weren't lost in France, were you? <laughs> I, kissed, I was with a, a Tyler. Um, anyway, because he's from your trade, isn't he, a Tyler? Anyway, a Tyler, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah let, let's go to... Why did it go... To France, I think the real reason was I'd started from my uh, school days. I did learn the language. Then, when I went down to Cornwall to live, um, I saw other parts of England. And when I went to Truro, 
the twinning organization was in its infancy. So right. I managed to get myself involved as, believe it or not, the DJ at the fire station. So we went across on twinning exchanges. Now we're talking about how travel can broaden the mind. So within our own country, I'd gone to Cornwall, and then from our own country, uh, from Cornwall, I'd gone across to Brittany, and I developed a love of Brittany. So uh, later on, it would uh, work out that I decided to go to do a degree, and it was via the degree that I went back to my love of the radio and I managed to get myself involved with a radio station in Brittany. So I managed to get myself on the radio working as a, an English presenter, making the adverts, making the English connections with people who were coming off the ferry boats, Brittany Ferries, which was quite new at the time. Um, so it's, it, it's like when you look at how travel has broadened your mind. In my case, it opened up this whole French adventure. And then, uh, again, only because of the fact that we've got a bit of a constraint on time, um, because our holidays used to be a couple of weeks in France, I started going further afield in France. I went, to, obviously, to Paris. I went to the Mediterranean. And then one particular day, we'd gone down to um, near to um, uh, the, the French-Spanish border. Um, and the weather had turned. So we decided to just travel. And so I, I decided I'd go and look at Lourdes, where you have a whole industry which has grown up on the Virgin Mary appearing in, in that part of France according to what we are led happened. Um, and then it strengthened my belief from my faith that I'd had being taught to me in my Catholic grammar school. And all these things link up and you don't always see them, do you? No, I, th I think that for you... Being uh, the the uh, sort of staunch Catholic that you are, I think that must have been a wonderful trip and a wonderful experience. As as you were telling me, I think a little while ago about going to uh, the Vatican. Oh. Um, you know, I I I it, it it and what appeals to some people doesn't necessarily appeal to others. But you've got to. For me, it was really interesting to hear how you felt about what you saw and what you felt when you were there. And and that that is something that happens to you when you've travelled. I think you're far more aware and and are prepared to listen to what other people's experiences have been because you know that maybe you can learn from their experiences, uh, and not necessarily have to go there to to experience the same thing, or indeed give you the appetite to want to go there to see what you can see. Do you, do you understand what I'm oh, saying? Ab absolutely. Um, that trip to Rome was instigated by my eldest son, and Anne and I went to the Catholic Mass in St. Peter's. Uh, we looked around the Basilica. When you stand in front of a plaque which shows you the lineage going from St. Peter right the way down to, to Francis, uh, yet take away the politics, uh, strip away the frailties that we know exist and look at the reality of seeing uh, a line from A to B and hopefully something that links you to what you believe in in the first place. That was a, a tremendous, tremendous um, a chance to do that. Um, yeah. Just to try and speed things along, um, I'll go to 2013 when uh, I was asked, would I like to go and play my rock and roll act in, believe it or not, Sydney, Australia. Uh, so, you know, you'd been there, you'd seen what it was like. I went in a totally different way. I got off the plane. I was dragged from the plane because it was that day to go and see the, um, the gay parade in Sydney which, believe it or not, I couldn't care a, a fig about. Um, but it was interesting to see the amount of people that were there. 
And if you're wondering, yeah. if you're wondering, the sea of people. Well, yeah, and if you're wondering about the wake element in uh, Australia at the moment, I think you only need to go there and see that, and you'll get a better perspective. That's for sure. Um, um, it's not. I mean, I've been to the carnival, the the uh, Notting Hill carnival. Um, a couple of times and it's not for me i i know that sort of thing isn't for me um the same when i was in the states and uh i went to the carnivals and it's it's not for me i i'm not that type of person really i it's nice to see it if you're standing on a balcony looking down but to be part of the throng is it does nothing for me big crowds or anything like that but uh I think you've got to you've got to try and open your mind and experience everything, haven't you, Vince? Well, you have, and you know, I grew up with this mitre of the sword of Damocles and everything happening via Russia and the Cuban Cuban missile crisis. And you know, when I then went to America and I spent quite a long time in California around the Palm Springs area and uh, seeing what the desert's like and where they have these big festivals and all sorts of different things that we do experience here in Spain. And then conversely, um, I found myself about five years ago going to St. Petersburg and uh, walking in the streets of St. Petersburg and feeling the chill, knowing that you're being watched all the time. Not feeling that yeah. you, you know, not feeling that you should really uh, maybe express joy. It's not the sort of place that you do that. It's gorgeous, gorgeous buildings, but what a feeling! It's a totally different place, you know. I, I think the same with China. You know, um, I've got friends that have been to China. Of course, not to see China, China, but uh, to see what China wants you to see. Um, and they've they've said the same thing. It's been fascinating, um, but uh, not really sure of what what they're actually looking at because it's sort of uh, prepared for you. But I think I just I just think being able to go there and travel and have the experience, even if it's not what the real people are experiencing themselves. I mean, I, I think the Chinese suffer more than anybody really. Uh, I know we often take them not the mickey out of them for their chinese restaurants or especially in spain the cheapness of them and and the food but you know they they work ever so hard uh for very little sometimes but they everything they get they put together and just like the 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 asians the indians they give it back to the family which is i think is what a great ethic does that happen in the western world well, I don't think it does. I think you've hit the nail on the head and I think you've given me the cue for next week's chat because it's the uh, strange existence of the threat of China coming from its, um, you know, they did attack the family, not allowing people to have more than one child. And the Russian communists did right the way to defeat capitalism is to defeat the family. And I think somewhere along the line, the two uh, have got together. And I think that is partly the area where my suspicions lie over what could be happening, plus the globalists who basically feel that they can interfere with just about anything on the planet. Uh, so I don't think it's just about the Chinese and I don't just think it's about the Russians. I think lurking behind this is also a number of people who want to control the planet. But yeah, next, yeah. next I mean, week... It, it, none of it makes any sense now, Vince, to us after we've had the lives that we've had and that's why we question it every day, every every podcast, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, look... Um, we've got to wrap this up. We're just coming up to the hour. And so next week, we will discuss the family. This will be a very, very interesting hour. And I'm pretty sure uh, there will be things that we'll discover about each other. Um, there'll be things that maybe uh, are a complete and utter revelation to any of our listeners. But I do hope we've illustrated that as our lives have developed... Without travel, I don't think you would change your perception as much as maybe the television would allow. What do you think about that as a final comment? 
Absolutely, I think you're you're absolutely right. The tea, we, you can you can question everything. You and I can question everything because we've we've seen things for our own from our own perspective and our own ideas. I think many people who haven't travelled and just watched the TV have only that idea um, from what what's purported or reported from it. And uh, you know that doesn't. We know as as travellers that that isn't the truth. And, and actually what people want from the news and from the TV is the truth. But unfortunately, they don't get they don't, I'm not saying not every time, but most of the time they don't get it. Absolutely right. Well, there we are. We've wrapped it up. A full hour looking at how travel broadens the mind. Uh, Matt, I look forward to next week. Yep, I shall. Uh, you have a great week and give my love to your darling wife Anne and uh, we'll speak to you soon and the same to you and Rebecca thank you very much indeed cheers man take care Vince bye 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 bye